highest of heights to the depths of the sea. He departed from Gath and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. Uh, this, this cave of Adullam, actually it's a series of caves. It's not just one cave. It's a, it's a, it's a hill, a very large hill. And the name of Adullam means refuge or sealed off place. And this location of Adullam is somewhere to the south of where David and Goliath squared off there in the Valley of Elah, about two miles south of that area where the battle occurred. You Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, our scripture tells us that David was on the run and ended up in the cave called Adullam for safety. As David is on the run, he realizes that he couldn't go to his house or the palace. He couldn't go to Samuel or Jonathan. And finally, he could not go to the house of the Lord, nor back to the ungodly Philistines. Instead, he found an ordinary cave called Adullam, which means refuge. God wanted to teach David that he alone is his true refuge in this discouraging time. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now here's Pastor Rob as he begins chapter 22. All right, good evening. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 22. Last time we were together, we looked at uh, chapter 21 and we saw David uh, in this really interesting time of his life, probably one of the richest times, and certainly it was probably one of the most difficult times, no doubt, of his life as he's really God's anointed king, but yet in exile and running for his life because of Saul. And you have to remember that when David was running from Saul, it wasn't just for a few months. It was a a handful of years, Um, maybe even up to 10 years, somewhere in that area. He was um, running for his life. And Saul just being completely unhinged and not willing to uh, surrender to the Lord's will. Certainly filled with jealousy and envy of David. Because David was a great warrior. David was a wonderful musician. He was a very gifted man. And Saul was everything David wasn't. (laughs) David was just one of those men that I I, I can't wait to meet in, in glory and just because he um, was just such a remarkable fellow. And, but we, we saw that he was running for his life, and David, as he leaves Jonathan in Gabeah, he goes to Nob, which is a city just northeast of Jerusalem. And at this time, the, the priesthood at Nob was, uh, consisted of at least 85 priests there, and we believe that's where the tabernacle was. And it's, that's where it, actually where it was. Because uh, earlier in Samuel, we find out that the Philistines, around chapter 4, chapter 5 area, 
They destroyed Shiloh, which was the place where the tabernacle was set up since the days of Joshua. But now that the Philistines had destroyed that, the the tabernacle, the priesthood, the, the altar, everything moves to Nob, which is not too far away from Jerusalem, actually. Some people believe that it was actually on the Mount of Olives. Uh, certainly it was less than a mile and a half, maybe two miles at the max, um, this area called Nob. In fact, it's one of those areas as we're dra- traveling when we go to Jerusalem, when we're down in the uh, Jordan Valley, and as we make our ascent to Jerusalem, when we go up the hill, the mountain range of Moriah, we make that steady descent, or ascent, I should say, and as we're going up, probably on the right-hand side or on the left, somewhere in that area was this city of Nob that uh, David fled to. And you remember Ahimelech and his other priests were there ministering, and David went there um, certainly to receive solace, um, to receive perhaps some food, because David, being on the run, was hungry. He was discouraged. He didn't have really a friend in the world except for Jonathan and Samuel. And Samuel was in Ramah, and now he's all by himself running. So he goes there, and remember, the priest gives him, out of the kindness of his heart, he, the priest didn't know his errand. I'm sure that Ahimelech thought it was a little odd that David would be traveling and coming to him, and there was no one else with David, as far as we know. They may have been hiding other places. We don't really know for sure, but David came to him alone. And for a man whose right-hand man, you know, or one of his, you know, Saul's mighty men, the captain of the guard, so to speak, the one who went and fought the battles, certainly there'd be a group of men with David. And David lied to the priest, didn't he? He said that he was there on some clandestine operation when really he was running from Saul. The priest had no idea, although I'm sure his suspicion was a little high. But he gave David food, uh, in the showbread off the table of the, uh, the showbread, the table of showbread. He gave him the, the bread off of that for him and his men. And he also gave him the sword of Goliath, which was there in memorial uh, before the Lord behind the altar. And so David takes off, and, and so now we come, and then he flees to Gath, uh, to Gath which is the hometown of Goliath, and he's uh, with Goliath's sword, and he approaches the king of Gath, Achish, and uh, Achish um, is not real fond of David, and it's kind of an interesting thing why David would even go to the enemy's camp, but isn't it funny that sometimes when those who hate you Everyone hates you. You go to the ones who hate you the less, maybe. Maybe the ones that you feel more safe. And unfortunately, that was the world for David at that time. We don't really condone David's behavior because because of his fear, because of his anxiety. We do strange things when we're in a place like that. So this is not one of David's finest hours, certainly in his life. And once Achish kind of starts to not really feel comfortable with David, and certainly the lords around him, his cabinet in a sense, are not excited about David being there. Once he finds out that things aren't going well, he feigns to be a madman, remember, and he starts to spit on his beard, which is a very uh, shameful thing to do in the Middle East, uh, in that culture, and scratching on the door like he's some kind of madman. So David play, play acts to be mad. Finally, Achish sends him away, and we come right to this chapter now. So, Look at with me, and let's just read through the chapter, and we'll go back. It says, David, therefore, chapter 22, departed from there, from Achish, from uh, from Gath, 
and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. And then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and my mother come here with you till I know what the Lord will do for me. And so he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go to the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. And when Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered, now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah, with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. Then Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? All of you have conspired against me, and there is no one of you who reveals to me that my son has made a a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. And then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul. He said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. So the king sent to call Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were there in Nob. And they all came to the king. And Saul said, Here now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, I am, Here I am, my lord. And then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him, that he would rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all of your servants is as faithful as David? Who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in, in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all this, little or much. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it me. But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests of the Lord. And the king said to Doeg, You turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and he struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. And now one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped, and he fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he will surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but with me you shall be safe. And so we see this is really, the, in my opinion, I think this is, if not the worst moment in Saul's life, it is certainly one of two. 
Because we know later on Saul will, he will consult a medium, a witch, which is really ascribing to God nothing and putting more confidence in the dark side, putting more confidence in the devil, really, than putting confidence in God. But we know that the Spirit of God departed from Saul, and it came upon David. And so when a man is without God, he's gotten, he, he, he thinks that he has no place to, to resort to except the enemy's camp. And that's exactly what Saul did. But I think this event in Saul's life was probably the worst and the lowest point of his career. You know, to not only kill the, 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 the priests, you know, to, just to have no desire for them at all and, and to just and go through all of that and, and kill the people of God, the priests of the Lord. It's horrible. So let's go back to verse 1. This place, it says David departed from there. He departed from Gath. And he escaped to the cave of Adullam. Uh, this, this cave of Adullam, actually it's a series of caves. It's not just one cave. It's a, it's, a, it's a hill, a very large hill. And the name of Adullam means refuge or sealed off place. And this location of Adullam is somewhere to the south of where David and Goliath squared off there in the Valley of Elah, about two miles south of that area where the battle occurred. And um, we were just there uh, last year um, in March where, where the battle occurred. And, and up on a mountain, you can actually see, um, we, we weren't able to go down to this place of Adullam, but, you, but there's a hill about two miles south of it, and you can see it from a mountain, the, the rough area. And it's littered with caves, with holes. And throughout Israel, this is very prominent, especially along the Dead Sea. When we travel along the Dead Sea, and if you go with us this next year in March, you'll, you'll see these things. And it's a great place to hide. If you're a convict or a fugitive, uh, Israel is filled with places you can hide. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. They're just miles and miles and miles of caves and places you can hide and it really is quite spectacular to see. But this is where David was. Not, not along the Dead Sea, of course. Um, he, he would resort there later. But he's more in the, in the line of, of Judah, uh, not too far away from where he uh, faced off with Goliath. So some people have thought of this cave as being near the, the area of Qumran, uh, and again, the, the area of Qumran is right there uh, along the border of the Dead Sea. We, we visit that place where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. You get to see Cave, cave 4 where they found complete scrolls of Isaiah. But throughout that whole region, and you guys remember, uh, uh, Gary, when we were there this last year, the, um, the whole mountain, the whole side is just filled with, they haven't even discovered all of them, you know. And because of earthquake activity in that area, which has happened several times. There's probably things buried in there that, we'll, that no one will ever know because uh, you can only do so much. We're talking, this is a lot of land, folks, and it's pretty a daunting task to see all that would take place. But some people believe that David hid, that that was the cave of Adullam somewhere in that area, but most people agree that it was further west, inland, in the land of Judah, and they pretty much identified it right there two miles south of where he, he killed Goliath. But um, it's a place about 500 feet high, again, with numerous caverns, some of which can hold two or 300 men at one time. And so 
That's a dulem. So let's look at verse 2. And notice that everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. That sounds like a motley crew, doesn't it? Sounds like the kind of guys you want to hang out with, you know? People who are distressed and discontent and in debt. It sounds like, you know, it doesn't sound too good, actually. But I love how the Lord uh, does the things like this. He doesn't need a, a polished group, you know, fresh out of West Point. You know, military strategists and trained in military. These guys were just a bunch of, you know, ragtag guys, but they became David's mighty men. And we see of their exploits later in Second Samuel 23. We find out what some of these men did and why they were called David's mighty men. But David has about 400 men with him. And of these 400 men, 37 of them are reported to being David's mighty men, among which Uriah the Hittite was one of them. You remember Uriah the Hittite? It was later on when David came into power. And remember, it was David or Uriah's wife that David had the affair with. Uriah the Hittite. This was one of David's mighty men. One of the men who would go with him on the battles that would protect him. And yet David in a moment of weakness, sleeps with his wife. And then to cover up her pregnancy, he has Uriah killed in battle in an opportune moment to make him look like, to look benevolent and to take her under his wing. And then, oh, she's with child. He must have had relations before, and now she's with child. And David, you're such a wonderful guy for taking this woman in, this widow, and and now you're going to take care of Uriah's son. What a noble, wonderful guy. And David, of course, the Lord didn't let him get away with that. But Uriah was one of his mighty men. I love what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says to Timothy, This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, speaking of Christ, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. But I, I love this spot in that verse where it says, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. And this, this is the attitude of these mighty men, these 400 men. Uh, 37 of them were mighty men, but the other 360-some or whatever, they, they were just men, women, you know, men. And David, um, you, these were part of his army, really. They were willing to die with him. Because he was being chased, it was very likely, actually, that they might die with him. Because remember, Saul had at his fingertips great resources of armies, hundreds of thousands of men. And for only 400 men, they would have been no, no match for the, Saul's armies. And so they had to live as vagabonds. They had to be on the run. They had to live in exile. And I love what it says in Zechariah 2. It says, who has despised the day of small things? And here we have the very germ, if you will, of David's, David's army. Just this 400 men, and, and, and they weren't all trained. They were, David trained them. And notice that God doesn't choose the, the high and the mighty. He doesn't choose the great and the most talented, the most gifted he uses a ragtag group of guys. What does it say in Corinthians 1, verse 26? He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen what? He's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And such is the case today. 
God doesn't need a big fancy army. He can do a lot with very little. In fact, one of the hallmarks of God's power is he, he does a, a great deal with very little. Think of what he did through the nation of Israel. Think of what he did through just the, the tribe of Judah. Insignificant compared to the world population. Cons, you know, considering all the people groups, God would use them not only to bring the Messiah into the world, but entrust to the Jews the very oracles of God. What an amazing responsibility that was. And yet God chose them, not because they were great. And he says this over and over in the scripture, but because they were small, they were insignificant. He goes, I didn't choose you because you were some great thing, because you were less than something. That's why I chose you, and that's God's way. So if you're feeling tonight like insignificant, if you're feeling like the world has got an edge over you, or other people who are high and mighty got an edge over you, guess what? You plus God is a majority in the world. But do we believe that? You plus God can conquer anything according to him. Paul would say that, wouldn't he? Even though I'm weak, I'm strong. So then David, verse 3, he went from there, he went from this, this place of Adullam, he goes to Mizpah of Moab. Mizpah literally means watchtower, and there are many Mizpahs in Israel. There's at least three or four, and this one actually is not the one that's close to Ramah where Samuel lived. This Mizpah was actually in the south. If you were to picture a map of the Dead Sea and you were to go east, you would go to the very southern point of the Dead Sea and then go east about, uh, let me see, about 15 miles. You would run into Mizpah of Moab, of the king of Moab. And so David went there and he said to the king of Moab, let my father and my mother come here with, with you until I know what God will do for me. That's kind of odd, don't you think? that David would go to one of the enemies of Israel? Especially when you consider back in chapter 14 that Saul just ransacked and totally destroyed the Moabites. And now another one from Israel is coming and saying, hey, will you watch my mother and my father and keep tabs on them? Hmm, that's kind of interesting. So, verse 4, he brought them before the king of Moab, and, he, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So why did David do this? David himself was on the run, and certainly his family back at home, his other seven brothers and his mom and dad, their lives were in jeopardy too because Saul would be looking out for them too because anything, any information, any intelligence he could find on David was valuable to him, and he would certainly put them in prison if he could and maybe even torture them. We've seen he's not above killing the, the servants of the Lord, the priests. He's not above that. So they would certainly be a target. And I love the fact that David, even though he's the youngest of eight, he's performing the duties of an elder son, isn't he? That's an elder son's job, the eldest, the firstborn. That would be his job to take care of his family. And yet his brothers were probably with him in this cave. And yet it's David who, because he's the captain over them, he's the one who arranges to make sure his mom and dad are in safekeeping. But why Moab? Why Moab?
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.